at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk, and welcome to a new quarter. Yeah, that means this is April 3rd, 2023, and we're operating on a Monday here, and the second quarter has begun. Nothing stands still, though. It was an interesting weekend with some news out of OPEC, and it's a continuation of a consistent theme, which is more volatile geopolitical dynamics. And this is one of them. OPEC has been around a long time, but in a lot of ways, the U.S. controlled what OPEC did, right? Because of our relationship with Saudi Arabia. Now, as we enter a more multipolar world, eh, you know, they tend to do their own thing. They have different influences, And thus the recent decision. So this is just one example of how the market dynamics are different because the geopolitical dynamics are different. Everything kind of starts with politics, right? We only have capital markets because of politics. And we're talking about investing because we have capital markets. So in the end, Geopolitics matter. You can't ignore. You cannot ignore them. Now I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here on today's radio program and podcast to help you make the most of your capital. It's hard earned. Took you years to get it. You don't want to squander it by falling prey to traps and pitfalls that many many investors do fall into. Chasing the shiny object, chasing returns not understanding what they're invested in. And so I'm here to answer your finance and investment questions. I'm going to do that with a straight, unbiased answer. No hidden agenda here. Just want to give you my perspective of over 20 plus years of doing this. Give you a lot of data that will back up why I think a certain way. And you know, this is a different investing environment than many are used to. And so that can be a challenge to adjust. So we're here to help you adjust as well. So our anytime listener line is open, 888-99-CHART is how to get through and ask your question on today's show. Or if you're listening after hours, you can call anytime. But if you're listening four to five Pacific time, you can call and talk to us live. Now I have a lot of material to cover. One is in regards to 14 charts in Q1 2023 market performance that tells the story of how the market went for the first quarter. So we're going to look at those. I'll 
obviously have to describe them to you, but you'll be able to um, check them out. If you head over to our website, we have links over there. We always have a link. Our main focus point, we always have a link on the website. So if you ever want to know what we're talking about and get a deeper dive into any of our focus points, you can do that over there. So we'll definitely have that for you. Now, time permitting, I also want to discuss the metaverse. How's that going? Remember, that was the hot topic uh, 18 months ago or so, two years ago. Also, individual investors, where are they putting their money? And then lastly, the private markets. How are the private markets faring right now? Now, I see I have some voice bank calls ready to play. One is in regards to shorting and JEPI, the JP Morgan Equity Premium Income ETF. And I also have an iTunes review question as well. Now, my perspective looks at the history of bank failures in the U.S. And I hope that fits in. I hope to fit that in today. So this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course, your live calls as well at 888-99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had uh, kind of a mixed day. You had the broad market slightly up 0.8%, 0.28%, so about a quarter percent there. But mid caps were down a little, small caps were down a little, and really bucking the trend, which we'll talk about a little later, from the first quarter was growth underperformed, value outperformed. Why? Because of energy. Energy underperformed the first quarter, and today it outperformed. Large cap value is up 0.7% because dragged up by those, those oil names. And, you know, OPEC decided to cut production. Not shocking. You know, they're talking to... Uh, China, they're talking to other uh, allies of theirs that buy a lot of their oil, right? They're customers, and they decided as a group that they don't want to produce as much. Now, the headline is a little misleading because they were already underproducing their quota as well, but they did go beyond what they were underproducing. So it will be a true cut. But once again, not as big of a cut as the headline entails. But that was the real driver today. You saw anything that was growth related come down a bit. Tesla was down 6%, for example. Neo, another uh, electric Chinese electric car company, that was down 6%. You also had some biotechs that, are, that were down big, as well as... Yeah, some interesting names. But the point here is this is not, not unexpected. And while you're always going to have counter-trend rallies, you, the, the trend, the longer-term trend, uh, seems to be intact. And this is a good reminder on the first day of the second quarter that hard assets, commodities, they are going to be in short supply worldwide. Now let's head over to our first listener question right now. Hey, this is Duncan from New York, Saturday night, it's 1130, and I'm still interested in investing. In one of my portfolios, I have a question about stock FSLR. It seems to be at an all-time high. I only have about like eight shares of it, but I've had over like 145% you know, profit on it. So I'm looking to see if I should shave a couple of bucks off of it. As you said before, it's very hard to... Uh, sell a stock that's doing so well. So just want to know your two cents. Thank you very much and have a good day. Bye. 
All right, this is First Solar Incorporated, and this has been one of the best solar operators, domestic solar operators for a long, long time. They're out of Arizona, and they are the largest thin, world's largest thin film solar modular manufacturer. And this is an area that's getting a lot of, with the Inflation Reduction Act, they're getting a lot of subsidies, uh, and I believe this is what is causing earnings expected to go from losing 41 cents last year to making $12.59 next year. And so it's make $6.62 this year at $200 per share. Turn eight. That is on a forward looking basis, not a terrible multiple. So, you know, I do think it's a bit overbought. Uh, you had a pretty decent down day today, down nine bucks on the day. And, and does look like it's ready for a bit of a pullback. Um, but it isn't a longer term uptrend. They don't have a lot of debt, which I, I like that. You know, a lot of these tech year, exciting green energy names, they, they have a lot of debt. They have negative free cash flow, et cetera. Um, but their operating cash flow is still pretty strong. And so I'm going to say I would create a tight stop on it. I don't know if it adds to it at these levels. I think it's a bit elevated right now, but I would have a tight stop on it around the 100 day moving average. Right now, that's right around 175. Obviously, going to. Obviously going to continue to march up as long as the price stays above it. But that's the out that I would use, that 100-day moving average. Now we're going into a quick break. If you're listening via live stream, give us a call now. Or you can call anytime on Talk and leave your voice voicemail on our voice bank at 888-99-CHART. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads surpassing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download. And hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now my focus point looks into this topic. The 14 charts on Q1 2023 market performance that tell the story. We just ended a very interesting first quarter of the year with a bit of a bucking of the trend from last year, right? So check giant suffered throughout last year and there was a lot of tax loss selling. This is pretty typical when the worst sector from or area of the market in the previous year, often the first quarter of the next year, it's pretty good. Why? Because there's a lot of tax loss selling, people taking those losses and moving on. 
And then suddenly there's that not that much pressure, not as much selling pressure on those stocks, and they get a bit of a rebound. And you got a lot of that this quarter. And the value in dividend, dividend stocks slumped. Um, now, that's at one quarter. And I always say this, that you're always going to have counter trend moves with anything. Right? If something's in an uptrend, there's going to be a pullback. There's, oh, it always gives you opportunity to get in, right? And this is a quarter where it was an opportunity to, I think, rotate again longer term out of that, those growth names, so trim that back a little bit, get into some of those uh, value sectors that are likely to outperform long term. And you saw that today, right, with the, with the energy stocks uh, really up big. Now, in the first quarter, stocks were broadly in a range that they've been trapped in for now going on a year. And so from an earnings perspective, the market isn't expecting a giant change in earnings. He's not pricing that in quite yet. And that might mean that there isn't going to be one. Obviously, there still could be. Now, the damage of the market was mainly in two sectors. Regional banks, they were down 23.5% on the quarter, and then real estate investment trusts, and especially those tied to commercial real estate, office real estate. And this is something I kind of expected in the first half. I didn't know how it would manifest, but something that would trigger a, a shift from the Fed, a pivot. And this is actually something I'm writing for our clients coming up this, this week is about you know, basically, was the banking crisis bullish? I think so. It sounds counterintuitive, but, you know, for a long time now, since the Fed has been a very dominant factor in the markets, bad news has been good news. Because ultimately, the Fed comes in with liquidity when things get bad enough. And a banking crisis certainly is bad enough. So the minimum thinking is that doesn't raise rates anymore, maybe keeps it there for a while. So just a friendlier outlook overall that could support asset prices in general. Now, on a sector level, tech outperformed, once again, kind of that rebound trade. Energy ended the first quarter down 5%, but kind of erased that right today. Many of those names up. 5% or more. Now, the biggest, the biggest news item or market move, market change, let me say change, continuation for the first quarter was that volatility remained relatively high and volatility in the bond market. That's where, that's really what ticked up and continues to tick up. And that's more of a worrying sign to me. That's the biggest thing I'm following is the move index. Now, the two-year treasury, that reached a high of 5%, a little over 5% in March 8th, but it, now it fell to 3.76% as of March 24th. So a big change. The, the, the Fed funds rate typically follows the, the two-year, and that moved 125 basis points in a short period of time. So it just shows you that market pivot. And then crude oil, that uh, hit a low of $66.74 on March 17th, now up to 75.67 at the close of the quarter, 
and rally today. So that was a re preview, a review of last quarter. We're heading to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve Justin. I had a question about shorting a position. It's something I've never done. But I was considering learning and was also considering potentially doing it in the commercial real estate sector, like commercial REITs. In addition to knowing your opinion as to whether now might be a decent time to, to short some uh, commercial REITs, I also thought about the timing and potentially trying to cover them during a dividend payment, if that makes any sense. Uh, I'd love to know your information and feedback. Thanks for the show. Bye-bye. Well, one thing you have to understand about shorting is when you short a stock that pays a dividend, which most REITs do, you have to pay the dividend. A lot of people know that. So you trying to game uh, a dividend payment, an ex-dividend payment, uh, you're not doing yourself any favors because you're going to have to pay that dividend. So it kind of comes out all in a, in a wash. So I wouldn't think about in that in that way. And that's why it's difficult to short REITs in particular because of that dividend you have to pay. It tends to be, you know, sometimes pretty hefty, especially those that are, are falling dramatically like the commercial real estate ones. Now they're down a lot. And I think some of them are headed for bankruptcy especially if they have heavy exposure to office markets in major metropolitan cities and they maybe made acquisitions uh, over the past five, seven years or so at relatively high prices. I could see that being a big issue. And so I like where you're looking. Uh, I just think it's going to be more of a challenge than, than you think. Okay. So, um, be careful and don't try to game it with the dividend. All right. Now, when people take the time to leave the podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Luke NYC 77 says, it's, is Playboy a good long-term investment? I know recently they changed their CF, CFO, COO. Their earnings were below analyst predictions. It's a very well-known brand. The price is very enticing at below $2. Well, here's the thing. It's really about execution here. Uh, and that's all about... That's what brands are. You know, brands are, are, are very valid, can be very valuable. But without a good management team behind it, it's hard to realize that value. I, I, that's why I, I, a lot of people brag on Tim Cook. I think Tim Cook has done an amazing job with Apple. Yes, he hasn't had breakthrough innovations like the iPhone, but he's managed the brand very well and the business very well. And with Playboy, you know, they have managed the top line well, but the bottom line, horribly. Um, now, like I said, like you said, new CFO, new CEO, they obviously needed that. You're really betting on the management team here. That's all it's about is how does the management team pivot? 
And they talked a lot about shutting down. They, they were doing all these different initiatives and many of them were successful, especially on the top line, but the bottom line fell short. So is it a good long-term investment? It depends on that CFO and that COO, if they're really change, going to change things around or not. And I, you hope so because it is a great brand and the brand liquidation value is much higher than $2 is trading at now. All right, let's head over to another iTunes view question. Julio seven says I'm putting a lot of money in the 401k mutual funds and planning to keep doing that for the next 30 years. Are these two good ones? Now here's the issue with this review. They put six symbols, six symbols. Uh, and Nothing has six symbols, uh, but they did spell out large cap, uh, Clearbridge large cap. Let's see, do we have this growth value? I don't know if it's growth or value. Uh, if it's the value one, I will bring that one up. And that one's average. Right? It's an average fund. It's okay. And then is this the Putnam large cap value? Yeah, so if you're ever spelling out, there we go. If you're ever spelling out a mutual fund, it's always five letters ending in an X. It's all mutual funds. So he wrote six, which kind of confused me. But the Putnam large cap value, that's a little bit above average, I will say. And it's on the value side. So I'm going to say that one's a thumbs up. And the first one just kind of eh. Now we're moving into a break, but it won't last long. On the other side, I will take your calls live on our anytime listener line on 888 chart Got a question for Steve or Justin? Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Blue from Texas. I'm just calling about ticker symbol S-A-N, Banco Santander. My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? Hi guys, calling in from Germany. I'd like to know about currently Lumen Technologies. I like your show, it's a great add-on, uh, added value for me to listen daily. What's your question? What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? You're the best person. Person to ask it. Hello, this is Duncan from New York. Thank you guys for all that you do. I've been listening to you guys for about a year now, and you've taught me a lot about long-term investing. So let's go to Mac in Los Cabos, Mexico. So let's get right to one of our callers. Here's Ken in Texas. Now is a good time to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Let's say. You've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, 
you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Lewis from Alabama. I was just calling about an ETF, JEPI, J-E-P-I. Obviously, you know, we're trying to match the returns of the market, so I thought that this might be a good option. When you don't have a lot of experience, it's kind of hard to stock pick, as you know. So I thought this might be good, plus it has the extra dividend income. So if you would take a look at that, I'd greatly appreciate it. And I'll listen for the answer on the podcast. Thank you. All right, this is the J.P. Morgan Equity Premium Income ETF, J-E-P-I, and this is one of the more popular covered call ETFs. It has about $23 billion of assets under management, and, you know, it's done a lot better than, say, the NASDAQ covered call strategy, for example, but it's, it's more active, and that's a good thing. Um, its performance been good, has been good. Um, I will say we run a cover call strategy that's active like this, and our performance has been uh, a bit better. So, but this is obviously easier to access. You just go and buy it on the the major exchanges. Uh, it's still leaning on the growth side of the market, and that's probably why. Uh, and it's more in the the large cap versus more we're spread out between large mid and uh, probably more large mid. And so, um, you know, I think that's the the major issue here is that. It's improve, an improvement over the, the indices, but it's still only 2.7% in energy, 3.7% basic materials, 14% uh, in industrials, which is nice, much better than the, the broad market, only 15% technology versus the, the, the broad market, 24. So yeah, I mean, I think this is an improvement over the major indices and we like the cover call type of strategy and it's better than the alternative ETFs uh, that, that are out there, the other, other cover call ETFs. Um, but I think you can do better if you were to run your own cover call strategy, but maybe some people don't wanna do that. If you don't wanna do that, then this is a simple way to gain access to that type of strategy that's uh, done fairly well, definitely better than the indices. Now, my perspective today looks at bank failures here in the U.S. And judging by the number of listener calls and questions concerning bank failures over the past month or so, 
it's a topic a lot of people are interested in. A lot of InvestTalk uh, listeners are. So let's provide some statistics that give us historical perspective looking at this year and then going back the previous 22 years. So here are the bank failures. This year, there's been, there's been three. Uh, zero last year, zero the year before. You had four in 2020, four in 2019, zero in 2018, eight in 2017, five in 2016. You had the most was actually 2010. You would think it would be 08. It was actually 2010. There were 157 banking crises, uh, 140 in 09, only 25 in 08, three in 07, zero in 06 and 05. This shows, this shows to show you that there's a lot of liquidity in the market. Banks don't tend to fail, right? Excess reserves. And that's what's been draining out of the banking system as of late is a lot of excess reserves causing these banking failures. Now, there were five years out of, 20, of 23 that do not have bank failures. So in about 80% of the 23 years, some banks fail. That's just the product of the system. Now, the total FDIC bank failure loss figure was one trillion, one thousand forty dollars. Sorry, one trillion forty thousand dollars. Okay, that was the the cost of these these bank failures. Now, the total losses. Uh, sorry, according to the FDIC, from two thousand one until today. There have been 563 bank failures, 563. Once again, costing $1,040,000 by the FDIC. Now, going back to the Great Depression, that's a different story. In the 30s, there were bank failures all the time. In the first 10 months after the crash, 744 banks failed in 1930. 10 times as many as the 1920s. 9,000 total banks failed during the decade of the 1930s. 4,000 failed during a single year of 1933. And by 1933, depositors have seen $140 billion disappear through bank failures. Just poof, gone. And that's why the FDIC was created during the New Deal reform era under Franklin Roosevelt. It's created by the Banking Act of 1933 to restore the trust. When you have that many banks fail in one year, they had to do something to restore trust. That's what the FDIC was made for. More than a third of banks failed in the years before the FDIC creation. And bank runs, runs were very common. So during the Depression years, the life savings of millions of Americans were just wiped out. That's why... You know, if you talk to anybody that lived through those areas, they keep their money in their mattress. They don't trust the banks. This is why. That's why the FDIC was created. But they're good at what they do. Remember that. The FDIC has been, do, been around a long time, that means, right? Nearly 190 years they've been around. And they've seen a lot of bank failures. So all things considered, I think depositors are much better off today. And I think FDIC is probably one of the best if not the best thing to come out of the New Deal era. Now let's touch on something a little bit less concrete than banks. 
the metaverse. Remember just, what, 18 months ago, the metaverse was the hot topic? But today, much harsher reality. See what, I, see what I did there? Harsher reality, not virtual reality. Disney has shut down the division that was developing their metaverse strategies. And Facebook, remember, they renamed their whole company to Meta Platforms. What are they doing now? They're pivoting to AI. The median price for land and decentral land, kind of the main metaverse, I guess, place where you can buy land, that's uh, declined 90% from a year ago. And Meta has pivoted because they see slow user adoption, glitchy technology, and deteriorating economic conditions are putting a bit damper on how they can drive revenue through these platforms. And people are just realizing that transformation, transformation is decades away, if at all. Zuckerberg Dubbed this year, not the year of metaverse, but the year of efficiency. They let off 11,000 workers in the fall and another 10,000 recently. And a lot of those are based in the metaverse division. So it's an easy target for uh, tech companies more broadly to say, hey, how are we going to monetize this anytime soon? We need to focus more on profitability. Why are we going to pay a ton of employees to work on this division? Why don't we just slim it down? Maybe have a handful of people working on it and refocus on things that are actually more near term, like AI. In Metaverse, they spent billions of dollars building out this. Right? They built Horizon Worlds, which, which uh, uh, <clears throat> has failed to gain traction within the first year. They renamed Oculus to Quest, and that hasn't... Uh, done well. Those sales are actually down in the latest quarter. And so it just goes to show you that, especially in the tech world, <clears throat> a lot of things are flashing the pan. So remember that with AI, I, th I think there's, there's a, little more, a lot more usability, a lot more real-world traction with AI than Metaverse. But don't get roped into all the hype all the time. You know, just think of the... Remember blockchain? Companies renaming their, their company's blockchain, and then things changed rapidly. And prices for most, especially non-Bitcoin uh, projects, are down 80 90% plus. And so don't get wrapped up in this type of, type of thing, because you're more often to get burned than you are to hit a grand slam. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Yes, I was just wondering if you could say something about like buying a preferred stock. Thank you. Well, you can buy preferred stocks. There's nothing terrible about having a preferred or two in your portfolio. I just don't love them as an asset class. Now, I'll give you a quick primer of what preferreds are. So there's it, for companies, there's what we call the capital structure. And at the top, you have the bank, then you have... Uh, bondholders, and there's certain different levels of those uh, those bondholders, and, and which ones get paid first in bankruptcy, for example. And then you have preferred shareholders, 
below the bondholders, and then you have you have common shareholders. Now, the good thing about bonds is that you're very high up in the capital structure. If they go bankrupt, you're getting something, most likely. Okay, and then if you're a common shareholder, if things go well, you get the upside, right? You have the risk of bankruptcy and getting nothing, but at least you have upside of doubling, tripling, quadrupling, you know, having huge multi-baggers. And that can be, and that's the great thing about equity ownership. With preferred, you don't quite get the safety of bonds because those bondholders are probably going to be ahead of you in any of the assets they have claimed to. And then you don't have the upside because you're, you're getting their, your, your dividend, your, your preferred share payout, but that's it. If the company crushes it and grows their earnings, you know, hundred X over a 10 year period, how much do you get of that? Next to nothing, you get your payout. That's it. So the risk versus reward there just isn't that enticing to me. If you're if you're trying to get yield, go buy a be, go buy a bond, be a bondholder, buy lower quality bonds and get a better yield. You should be higher up in the tra- capital structure. So. Can you buy them? Eh, they're okay, but I don't love them. Now, Steve and I have been telling you for a while, we're, we're in a new market cycle, new market environment, and you have to be prepared right? for days like this where OPEC comes out of the blue, they cut production. And next week, it could be something completely different. It could be action... More action by Russia, more action by China, more action by the U.S. government with sanctions or some sort of bill coming down the pipe that's going to readjust the world order. And all that's happening. I think it's more of a matter of when that happens. And what's most important to you, though, is when financial freedom comes. Are you able to do what you want to do as opposed to what you have to do? That's what really this is all about. So if you need help understanding if you're on the right track, don't hesitate to reach, my, reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy as we do here on Invest Talk, which is independent thinking and shared success. And we practice unbiased guidance, both on and off air, and parallel investing, which means you invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone, go-to meeting, or maybe just email. But send us a message over on investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. Now, next up, let's squeeze in another listener question now here on Invest Talk. Hi, Steve or Justin. I'm calling today about ticker symbol T-E-C-K, tech. And I just wanted to be proactive and get an idea of what you would do in the situation if Glencore does have a proposed offer to acquire the Canadian miner. I'm up a good amount, about 80%. 
just wanted to know what you would do, what you would be waiting for, and what kind of news you'd be looking for, and you know, a good price target if you think it's a good time to sell. Thank you. Bye. All right. This is Tech Resources, and this is a name that we own for clients in that covered call strategy I talked about before. And it was up pretty nicely today on the back of a takeover offer, about 20%, uh, and from Glencore. And do, will they come to an agreement? We shall see. Uh, I Tech rejected the offer today, so it's not shocking to me. But, you know, we'll see. Um, uh, we think it's worth more than that. Obviously, tech does as well. And so, uh, you know, we're still digging into this offer. And, and it's just an offer at the end of the day, right? It's not uh, uh, something that is, is, is in writing and, and agreed upon. We think tech is worth more, like I said. So I would be patient on it. If we, you know, we're patient on it. We're not, we're not trying to sell it uh, definitely right away um, on this because we do think that it'll probably eventually get bought out for even more. So we like the company and uh, if you own it, I would continue to hold. Now the next invest talk, the story behind this question, what, what's causing the sudden price jump in home prices? In December and January, mortgage rates began pulling back and home buyers surged ahead. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Dan from Walnut Creek. I've got a question on a couple of stocks. I'm looking at purchasing either the uh, Vanguard Small Cap 600 Value ETF, BIOV, or the iShares S&P 500 Value, IVE, the BIOV. Um, stock seems to have a little bit more upside. I'd like to get your opinion as to which one would be better and if this is a good time to buy. Thanks. All right. Looking at I, VIOV, the Vanguard S&P Small Cap 600 Value ETF. So small cap value, as you would imagine. And then you have the IVE, which is the iShares S&P 500 Value ETF, large cap value. And I think this is, is pretty simple to me. It's small caps. I rather own small caps. Like you said, there's more upside there. The better value is in, are in those smaller cap uh, names right now. We've talked about how uh, there's been record spread between small cap value perform earnings and where the market was pricing them. Now, part of that could have been, hey, there's a lot of those regional banks in the small cap value index. So that's certainly going to probably weigh on it in the near term. And that's probably would be my biggest trepidation. Um, and really this comes down to <clears throat> your risk tolerance level. The, I, the IVE is going to be lower volatility. That's just what it is. But over the next 10, 15, 20 years, uh, VIOV is certainly going to do, uh, is likely to do much better. But you're with more volatility. So it just depends on your ability to handle risk here. But if uh, I'm picking one, I'm picking the small caps. All right. Now, lastly, let's touch on individual investors and where they are putting money. And what's interesting is that net purchases of U.S. equities by individuals reached a record in February. 
but that's changed as of late. And I think this has a lot to do with PTSD of the financial crisis. You hear a banking crisis and everyone goes back to 08. And you think, oh, I remember 08. I remember what happened. That's going to happen again. Right? The generals always fight the last war. It's something you have to remember. And that's why, as of late, or the past weeks, that purchases by individual investors have fallen to levels not seen since November of 2020. Individual investors bought $8.9 billion of U.S. equities on a net basis over the last 10 trading days, ending Thursday. That's down from a peak of $17 billion in the same period ending February 16th. So conviction is waning. And investor sentiment is waning. The percentage of investors who are bearish on the market rose to the highest level since December. And obviously people worried about the recession, but also fund managers. Their US equity allocation has fallen to an 18 year low according to B of A's global financial survey. A net 44% of investors are underweight U.S. equities. And a lot of this has to do with income opportunities. Right? Saying, hey, I can go get a treasury yielding 4%. Or I can get a corporate bond yielding seven, 6 or 7%. You know, we have... Clients that are talking to us about this. We have clients that are selling their real estate and saying, why am I going to be a landlord at a three or four cap when I can go and buy a 10-year corporate bond at 6%, 7%, maybe 8% and do nothing and not have to be a landlord. So when interest rates are reasonable once again, and somewhat attractive, they're naturally going to think about pulling money from equities. Then you add on the layer of the banking crisis, that's what people tend to do. And total assets in U.S. retail money market funds reached a record last week. And purchases of Tesla, which has always been a retail investor darling, fell dramatically as of late because the recent Investor's Day didn't live up to the hype. And so you might interpret this as bearish. I actually think it's bullish, right? A lot of cash on the sidelines, investor sentiment very low, not just individual investors, but also institutional investors. As long as you get an economy that isn't falling apart, which we're not at the current time, at least, and you have a Fed that's more accommodative, kind of lines up for me. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Remember to follow us on social as well and, and, and help us grow the Invest Talk community. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. 
Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.